Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Hey, parents, welcome to what I think is going to be a fun Wonder of Parenting podcast today as we talk about just some good stuff that our kids uh, do around their imaginations and how we play into that. Uh, My name is Tim Wright. I'm here with Dr. Michael Gurian, and uh, we're going to have a little bit of a Christmas discussion today, not necessarily from a religious standpoint, but from more just the celebration of Christmas and the icon of Christmas, Santa Claus, or if you come from Paris, it's Pierre Noel or uh, Father Christmas, whatever you might call him. He's certainly an icon, uh, whether you celebrate Christmas or not. And so we're going to talk about Santa, but really more in the context of kids and their imaginary friends. And I want to welcome in Dr. Michael Gurian. Michael, it's good to have you with us today. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for being here. And I, I thought it might be interesting. I, I, I didn't really give you a heads up on this, but uh, we're, we're not doing a religious show, but there's probably a lot of people who really don't know what Hanukkah is about, and that's what you would be celebrating more from your background. Can you give us just a little thumbnail sketch of what the celebration of Hanukkah is about? Okay. Yeah, and actually, we celebrated both when we were raising our kids, and we celebrate both because I come from a Jewish background. Gail came from a Congregationalist Christian background, and so when we got together, we just decided we're going to do everything, you know? So I think we probably actually now celebrate more Christmas than Hanukkah. Uh, one One of the reasons for that is also that Hanukkah, just for our American listeners to know, um, uh, it, Hanukkah is not a huge deal in Israel. It's a it's something, but it's not like Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, or Passover. It became a bigger deal because Jewish kids, I think starting in America, their parents were saying, well, what do we do? Our kids are coming home. All their friends are getting gifts from Santa. What do we do? And so, um, uh, you know, Judaism sort of said, people said, well, let's make Hanukkah this gift-giving holiday. And it already has a tradition for that. So let's really uptick it so that it's like the Jewish Christmas. Um, It's a, I I personally, you know, think it is what it is. And it's, um, and you know, it, Santa, Santa, and Christmas is always going to be the bigger holiday, right? Right. But it's 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 something really neat because it has a lot to do with resilience. Um, it has to do with this light lasting, you know. So if one comes from a um, religious and sort of miraculous standpoint, there are some miracles, you know, in the Old Testament, of course, and and this is one of them. 
with this it, it lasting and folks being able to also fend off aggressors and um, so I think I think resilience and the resilience of the Jewish people is a big message that's given. Yeah, and it's, it really is such a beautiful story with uh, the Jewish people under siege from Syria and, and uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and how this small group of Jewish people defeated the big Greek army. And, um, you know, and the, and the story of the Jewish people has been sort of one nation after another trying to destroy them. And, and the Jewish people just always pop back resilient and strong. And, uh, and so it's, it's really one of the beautiful pictures of uh, the Jewish people fighting to protect themselves. And, and that's partly what Hanukkah is about with the, uh, mm-hmm. the candles and all the lights. And, and it usually happens somewhere around December, around the Christmas season, so they tend to be conflated together, right. uh, at least in terms of our understanding of these two holidays. Um, and, yeah, and there are prayers, for folks who don't know, you know, there are prayers that are said every all eight nights, and there's a candle in the middle that you use to light the other candles, and you do light one candle each night. So it is a, it is a very pretty ritual. So uh, when you were growing up, you were growing up in a Jewish home, um, you weren't celebrating Christmas necessarily, but how did you as Jewish people get around Santa Claus when Santa Claus is everywhere uh, and not even necessarily a spiritual meaning to the holiday? He's really become secularized. Uh, how, how, would you, how did you deal with Santa Claus when you were growing well, up? Well, the interesting thing is that my parents were really multi-religious people. I mean, we, we were definitely Jewish. Uh, we also had Italian Catholic. My mom was half Italian Catholic, right? Married a Jewish person, her parents. And, and, and then um, my parents, they were religious searchers. They, we went to India. We lived in India. They got very into Hinduism um, and uh, came back. And then they got very into Baha'i, which is a sort of a, a beautiful religion, very peace-loving religion. And my parents were, were, you know, anti-Vietnam War. I mean, they were very, they were marching. We were marching all the time in the 60s um, against the military-industrial complex, you know, so it's a semi-hippie upbringing, semi-academic. And so the consistent thing, actually, in all this religious searching was Santa Claus, because (laughs) my parents, we would always have a Christmas tree. My mom really liked a Christmas tree. So so, um, we didn't do a lot with Hanukkah when we were kids. We did a little because we had Jewish friends. Uh, but but we did always have a Christmas tree, and so I'm like a bad person for that question. But in terms of in terms of, um, uh, I will tell a funny story about this. So when my kids, I think we've said in another podcast, sort of the history of how since I married someone who wasn't Jewish, we formed this called a multi-religious household. But yep. then my kids, my eldest, came home um, from I think a friend's bat mitzvah, and she was 11 at the time, and said, okay. I want to be Jew- I want to be Jewish, you know, and she said I'm we're going to temple. And so we rejoined the temple and she went through the bat mitzvah and then my second Davida 3 years later went through it. And we definitely totally reengaged. And Gail, my wife ended up converting to Judaism mm. because she loved it all so much, yeah. but we still keep a Christmas tree. <laughs> so <laughs> so I think we're kind of typical postmodern. Yeah. <laughs> Jews, <laughs> or or as as some religious people might say, uh, one way or another, you're in. You, you should be one, okay. You got your bases covered. <laughs> well, yeah, it's hard. The thing is, her mom and her dad and everyone on her side of the family, Gail's side, you know, and they are 
to totally love Christmas. Her mom especially just loves all the ornaments and all the things. And so her mom passed away uh, actually this last year, six months ago. But but there was no way Gail was not going to have a Christmas tree once <laughs> her mom moved to Spokane, which was almost 20 years ago. So, But in terms of the question you're asking, the way I think Jews um, do it is 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 to have Hanukkah and then also to just help their kids celebrate the happiness of of other kids. And I have always been a great believer in the joy, in pointing out to my kids the absolute joy that people are experiencing. You can see it on their faces right. at, at malls, you know, listening to, uh, you know, a Christmas carols. Um, and we actually learned Christmas carols in my house because Silent Night was my favorite. So we would sing Silent Night, my kids and I, because it's got so much joy. And so that's really how we looked at it. Yeah, and 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 part of our reason here for a little bit of a deep dive, so to speak, into religion is because the Christmas season certainly grows out of a religious experience, and yet it has taken on the trappings of uh, more of a worldwide celebration that embraces a lot of different faiths and and uh, experiences. Santa sort of being the icon that holds everything together. Um, but before we talk about Santa. Uh, and I, I happen to be a huge fan of Santa, so we'll talk about that later. Uh, talk a little bit, Michael, about kids and their imaginary friends and why kids have imaginary friends. Okay, they can have them for many reasons. Uh, Santa is, of course, a, a cultural, what should we say, cultural delusion or what are we going to say? A shared <laughs> cultural thing. So we're going to bracket that out because we all believe in Santa. Um, but in terms of imaginary friends, we project as, as little kids, you know, like at two, three is a common time to have imaginary friends. And we're we're able as little kids to talk to them, to project identity onto them, to gather identity from them, uh, to be learning lessons from them, to be feeling attachment with them. Um, feeling like we belong, feeling like we're together. Uh, all of those are really good feelings, and they're good feelings for the brain. I mean, since we're doing brain development, it's just good for the brain to be to be able to project identities and search through identities and and um, uh, and imagine futures and imagine uh, this this sort of love. You know, it's not narcissistic, really. It's it's a love for a, a real person in a two-year-old's mind and to be loved back. So I think all of those reasons are why our brain does it. Um, of course, we develop, we tend to develop out of it. Many people develop out of a lot of those by five, uh, some earlier than that, of course. Uh, but then some kids can keep a, a sort of imaginary friend through till nine, ten even, Um and every once in a while, you do get someone who keeps that imaginary friend all through life. But usually, by five, we see definitely it dissipating um, because, you know, the brain is bigger now. It understands, okay, that's an imaginary friend. I'm going to go get real friends. Um, but at two or three, the brain is immersed. Uh, my first grandchild, Clover, uh, had an imaginary friend, and her name was Other Clover. And mm -hmm. she, she gave her that name. And um, it was just always delightful to be driving in the car, sitting at grandma and grandpa's house. And, you know, she would start telling these big adventures that Other Clover was on. And, uh, uh, and sometimes Other Clover was with us. Sometimes she wasn't, you know. So we'd always ask, is she here? And, well, no, she stayed home or she did this or that. And it was just fascinating to me to watch this little child who was about two or three, uh, as you said, uh, with this uh, amazing imagination, sending other Clover off on these big grand adventures. 
And of course, I'm wondering where she even got those ideas to begin with. But I didn't necessarily see that in any of my other grandkids. And so it, not all kids have these imaginary friends, but, but all my grandkids in some way, shape, or form use their imaginations, whether they're playing with their little dolls or their little figurines or whatever it might be and creating stories. That, that imagination process seems to be a very, very important, rich part of being children. And so that leads to my question, uh, what are some things that we as parents and grandparents can do to, to really release that imaginative energy in our kids and grandkids? Uh, you mean beyond supporting imaginary friends? Right, right. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, are there ways that we can create uh, a creative and imaginative climate for their kids so that they know this is okay, this is a good thing? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Yeah. Yeah. Any of the arts, you know, um, uh, drawing, um, uh, finger painting, you know, anything that's visual like that, that's in that category, uh, auditory. So think senses and then think arts that fit with the senses. Um, so even singing songs, uh, like for my kids, it's Barney sings them a song. So then Barney, um, goes into their, you know, their, panoply of, of friends and they would sometimes talk to Barney. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything in the arts I would support and I think parents should support uh, and kind of follow the child to what art the child's really into at that moment. Three weeks from now it might be something else. Um, uh, but follow the child into the various art forms and with imagination uh, remember that reading reading stories is if if you had to pick one thing on a desert island, you know, you might probably pick reading. Uh, so as parents read to kids, and then when kids are old enough to read back and read stories to kids, uh, reading's going all the way in to so many different parts of the brain. So then the kid is imagining the story. And one of the reasons that, you know, reading an hour a day, let's say, to, a, to and with a three or four-year-old, Okay. Some people will say, well, that's a lot of time. And it may be, but I think we can make that time and and be telling those stories through reading. And when we compare what the brain does with imagination surrounding parents reading a story versus when the child, you know, watches that novel, let's say, for two hours in a movie, um, much more of the brain is lighting up and much more of it is developing from hearing that story being read and then reading that story because the brain has to dig in to more parts of the imagination to make the story come alive in their head. Whereas if they watch it, of course, it's passive. The work's already done. The, the story's on a screen, right? So they don't have to really imagine much. They imagine a little, but they don't have to imagine much. Having said that, though, I'll tell a little story about Princess Mononoke. <laughs> so Princess Mononoke is an anime, Japanese anime, and my 
eldest daughter, Gabrielle. Um, so I, we took our kids to it. It was at, at this Magic Lantern Theater here, which is a little art studio kind of theater. And said so it's, um, you know, it's subtitled. And, and Gabrielle just like, totally grabbed that so this goes against everything i just said about reading like she just totally grabbed that um thing and she would talk about and create with her dolls and in her room all sorts of stuff surrounding princess mononoke and and davida it was a little too scary for davida who was three and a half years younger uh um, we didn't realize it would be scary it's a scary sort of semi-scary thing that happens in forests with this princess and these animals um, but Gabrielle grabbed it. And, you know, Gabrielle is now going to turn 30, and she still talks about that. And she went to a museum when she, when she and her husband, Jack, went to Japan. They went to a museum that does this anime, and they looked at Princess Mononoke. That's 23 years later. So you never know when a movie is going to inspire imagination. Uh, so I wouldn't count movies out, but I think reading with kids is probably the biggest one. Yeah, and and of course, anybody who's been engaged by a great story, uh, and and the power of of painting your own pictures of what you're seeing in your mind, you you know, uh, really how creative and important that is. And and I, I think about myself. I'm 61. I'll be 62 here in a few weeks, and I still use my imagination to this day in my work. And I would imagine almost everybody, every adult, in some way, shape, or form, still uses imagination to think through problems creatively or uh you know just to take a mental break you know imagining uh you know sitting on the shore in maui whatever it might be so this imagination and and unlocking their imaginations early in life uh, is something that will serve our our kids well throughout all of their lives yeah we call it visualization now you know it's like the word of the last 20 years that you you want something to happen you visualize it right? You see it. Yep. Okay. I, and then I'll go do that. I've seen it. I'll go do it. Um, even that really is based on the foundation of being able to imagine. And and I, I think you're right that there's probably, I can't think at this moment of a job that people would have that doesn't include imagination, include them projecting, um, not projecting what the problem solving they want to do or the thing they want to build, but also projecting some of their identity into that. You know, I want to become a mathematician. I need to kind of visualize that. I need to see what that looks like. I need to imagine. And then when I'm doing equations, uh, I'm seeing permutations of equations actually partially in my imagination, right? I mean, I'm yep. because some of it I don't know yet, <laughs> and so I got to kind of imagine what is what is the what is that sequence? Oh, now I get it. So there's, I think you're right. And people say uh, language is what separates us from the other animals, and I think you know, of course, that that would be, let's say, true. But I think a close second is going to be the way we use our imaginations. Yeah, and and some of us uh, who've, you know, for me, I've I've had uh, my teams have lost a combined total of five Super Bowls. I spend a lot of time imagining what it must feel like uh, to you know be be a Seahawks fan, for example, like you are, and have won a Super Bowl. It must be incredible. Ah, you're so bad. People may not know that Tim is a fan of the Vikings and the Cardinals. That's yep. what you're referring to, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I grew up a fan of the Vikings. Tim and I are the same age, and I grew up a fan of the Vikings, and they always lost. And they so, always lost. And I, Four. I, I'm, oh. I'm still a fan. But yes, so yeah. the Seahawks did win that one Super Bowl. Um, our our crisis in the Northwest, though, is that if people watch football, that play where 
got intercepted at the end of the second <laughs> yeah, Super Bowl. Yeah, that's and, right. And I'll tell you, we imagined that play going differently. <laughs> and in fact, for about two years, the friends, Gail and I and our friends who watched that game and went into crisis when <laughs> when that play was made and we lost that Super Bowl, um, you know, we still... Actually, years later, we still talk about that play, yep. and we still imagine that the Seahawks won yep. that second Super Bowl. So, so yes, we do have to imagine the good stuff. <laughs> so I, I want to transition to Santa Claus, and um, there's a, a specific place I want to go with this question, but I'm going to set it up a little bit for you. Uh, so I come from the Christian tradition. And for us, Christmas is, is uh, centered around the birth of Jesus and the celebration of uh, God entering the world with grace and love and forgiveness. Uh, and there are a lot of Christian folks who find Santa as a distraction from the story of Christmas. Uh, I am not one of those people. I have been a, a fan of Santa Claus since I was a kid. I have a collection of Santa Clauses uh, set up in my uh, by my office from our travels. I always buy a Santa Claus from whatever country we go to every year. Uh, I dress up like Santa Claus uh, for our church program, and um, the, the kids all know who I am. Um, but I, I've always been a, a big fan of Santa in part because I do think that Santa has been able. Uh, across cultures to bring a message of joy and happiness and gift-giving that transcends whatever religion we're a part of, uh, that even transcends not being a part of a religion. There's just something about Santa Claus, and you see him in the Coke commercials or in car commercials, and you say, yeah, we know what season it is. Um, And so I've been a big fan, and I also, uh, every few years, will tell the story in our church of where Santa Claus comes from, and he's rooted in a real person from the 300s who was a uh, a Christian bishop, a Christian priest who uh, actually was in jail for a number of years because of his faith. He was a real person and known for giving gifts. Uh, but I, I think one of the concerns that people often have, religion aside, is if we play along with our kids about Santa Claus— and then eventually they find out that Santa Claus isn't real, will they run the risk of rejecting other things that we have told them? Uh, So in the Christian faith, it might be, so are they going to think that since Santa's real, then Jesus isn't real? Um, Or will our kids grow up thinking mom and dad lied to us about this? What else have they been lying about? So my question is, uh, do we need to be careful in navigating like a, a cultural imaginative figure like Santa? Um, and how do we handle those kinds of issues where our kids may at some point feel betrayed when they find out that maybe Santa Claus isn't real? Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, that's an interesting question. I know I've thought a lot about it over the years. I, I don't think that, um, okay, there's a few things there. One thing is the the only danger that I, I see in, in um Santa Claus and, and Christmas is the materialism that that I I feel that you know we could talk about as something that parents really need to watch out for you know 
not not 30 gifts, you know, just a few gifts from right. Santa. And if Santa gives a gift, then make sure the child takes something from their room and goes and gives it to someone else, right. you know. So one gift in, one gift out, you know, traditions like that and not hyper-materialism. That's the only thing that I've found really that I, I feel like I can, from a science-based perspective, say, hey, that's that is worrisome. Hypermaterialism is worrisome for core self development of a child, but um, the betrayal. I, I this may go outside my bailiwick because I'm not coming from a religious standpoint. But I don't. I don't. I can't find data or science on that. I'd have to really research that. I don't. I think kids separate things pretty well, and it's usually an older sibling or an, another older kid that that spills the beans to them, and then they get mad at mom and dad, or they just accommodate it. But I have, have you seen something that shows that then they won't believe in God or something? I, I, I've never well, seen no, that. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm saying that's the concern that some people have. Uh, I hear this over and over again, for example, in my church more, more years ago than I do now, where, where parents say, how can you as a, a Christian pastor talk about Santa Claus? Because if our kids believe in Santa Claus and find out he's not real, they're not going to mm. believe in, in God, which I, I I've never seen either, right. but that's a concern that, that parents have had, or they don't want to... Uh, or they might be concerned about uh, that they're lying to their kids no. because they know that Santa. So, so it's it's just that's why I raise it. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't worry about either of those things. Kids by then are smart. You know, they're usually learning at eight or nine ish that Santa's not real, and they're they're smart. You know, and they love their parents, and they're not. It's just it's just a rite of passage in their lives to to realize that oh that's my parents it's like the toothberry oh it's my parents and and they I don't think they will I don't think that will have any effect on their respect for their parents I mean that one thing should not have any effect on that they still respect their parents they still believe their parents their parents their parents have created this world for them this imaginary world for them. They understand that. Some part of them is thankful to their parents for letting them believe in Santa for a longer period of time and yep. letting them have all these gifts and letting them have put the cookies out and all that. You know, they by the time they're 10 or 11, they're looking at that going, oh, that's pretty sweet of my parents, you know. So I don't think so. And in terms of belief in God or Jesus or anyone, I, I think kids get the difference. Yep. So I personally wouldn't worry about it. I, and I don't have data to say anything else. Yeah, and and you and I would agree completely on that, um, and that's why I've been such a fan of Santa for so many years. And, and you know, one of the things that we did in our family, um, I I uh, just blatantly would talk about Santa with the kids, and Jan would always nuance it a little bit with the kids. Um, but because my kids, in our case, always saw me dress up as Santa Claus, they knew something was up, and um, <laughs> that that maybe he's not quite as real. So I was talking to my granddaughter my littlest one she's four and uh, she saw a picture of me that uh, jan had up uh, and it was me dressed up as santa claus and so she said to me you you were dressed as santa claus and um, i said no that wasn't really me he just looks like me and she said no that was you because santa looks like santa so you know she's still in that in between uh, age where she loves to talk about Santa and yet realizes that something goofy's going on because Grandpa dresses up uh, like Santa. So uh, yeah, I think I think we're both on the same page. I I would probably hear the concerns more in my position in life than than you might, but I have never felt either that it's damaging to our kids to have these uh, cultural imaginary myths 
let's call them that, that hold our, Santa holds our culture together at this time of year, uh, regardless of what we think about the story of Christmas. There is something powerful about that Santa Claus image all around the world that says this is a time of joy, this is a time of gift-giving, uh, this is a time to be with family and friends, and he's sort of the icon of all of that. And that's why I've always just felt like this is a good thing uh, to celebrate yeah. versus a bad thing. Oh, I think so. In fact, I have some disagreements with my m- more, um, I, don't, I don't know what, what to say, more orthodox Jewish sure. colleagues, let's say, who who um, who don't like the fact that our culture is so Santa-focused, you know, and—, and uh, who who you know who feel like well it's not really fair it's it's so christian and yeah. it's not really fair i i don't have that um and i always push back on that part, partly because come on there's only you know a few million jews in the us and most everyone else is is christian or or some other religion so it's not like jews can control anything you know so i don't right. i don't have that illusion i'm just like yes it's basically a kind of a christian slash other country um uh, and I don't have I don't have a problem with that. I I push back specifically by saying, if we didn't have Santa, the the four or five weeks of joy, and of family time, and of you know taking a week off. A lot of people take a week off between Christmas and New Year's. Of and then all those days around Christmas that people take off from work and are just with others. All of that bonding and relationship and family love and extended family love, uh, you know, we need that. So Santa is the center of that, and the, and um, and I think that's okay. Yeah, it, it's, it, it just catches me as ironic that your Orthodox friends are concerned that Santa's too Christian, and Christian people are concerned that Santa's not Christian enough. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's really the beauty of Santa. Now, again, I'm, I'm talking as a Christian person, but Santa— is not really anymore a religious character. Right, he really right. is about the season. And, and I know that a lot of places are mixing in religious Christmas carols, but a lot of the Christmas songs we sing about dashing through the snow or it's the most wonderful time of the year, they have nothing to do with religion at all. It's just this this, this season of joy, uh, celebrating light in the midst of darkness, gift-giving. And um, so that, you know, and for, it's for all of those reasons and then for me, some religious reasons as well, that, that Santa Claus is such a good icon and ambassador for, um, for this time of year. And there have been, you know, in the last 10, 20 years, there have been some really fine Santa movies that have come out, mm. I think, that just capture the joy of the season versus a religious message. And, um, well, I, let's put it this way. The religious message is, hey, let's be good to one another. Let's be kind to one another. Uh, let's be generous toward one another. And that's a good message regardless of whether we're religious people or not. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. My only thing I would just leave people with is watch out on the materialism side. Yes. That's really the area to think about is is to have a set number of gifts, give those gifts, and then make sure the kids give away uh, you know, commensurate gifts, and and make it just make it really clear to them that that um, materialism can can destroy the soul. So that's right. We need to just watch that piece of it. Yep. I think, and that's just such wise advice because this is about giving, not receiving, and uh, to help our kids find ways to give. Um, regardless of our religious traditions, is right. really uh, a special thing. So we we do want to say 
Uh, a special thanks to some friends who make this possible through their giving, and that's our friends up in the Seattle area, uh, A Place of Hope, the center. And uh, they've been sponsoring us for 2019, and they've agreed to help us out uh, into 2020, and we're so grateful for that so that we can keep coming to you. And Greg Jantz has written some great resources uh, to help you when you're going through tough times. So we encourage you to go to our website, wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com, and uh, you can find a place to submit a question to us. There are resources there for you and a link to uh, A Place of Hope. And uh, as we've been mentioning the last few weeks, if you live in the Minneapolis area, Michael and I are going to be there February 29th of 2020 for a Helping Boys Thrive Summit. And if you'd like more information, go to helpingboysthrive.org backslash Minneapolis, helpingboysthrive.org backslash Minneapolis. Uh, Michael and I are going to be back next week. We've got some more listener questions we want to get to. And uh, so, Michael, thank you so much for um, a fun podcast today. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, everyone. And we will be back with all of you folks. Hopefully, your Christmas season isn't so busy. You're out shopping so much that you don't have time to listen. We just encourage you to bring us along to the mall and put us on in your car and listen in as we continue talking about some things that are important to you when raising your kids. Uh, so for Michael Green, I'm Tim Wright. Thank you for listening to the Wonder of Parenting podcast. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft. Made with Tencel, it's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.